Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Welcome. This is a Tuesday evening. Of course, I am your host, Mr. Brian Pierce. This is the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. So if you like beer drinking and binge racing your way through off-road news, this is the place to be. We appreciate you being here. Of course, Seat Time brought to you by the fine folks at Fly Racing. You can find out more about them at flyracing.com or your local dealer. And then, of course, Kenda Tire is at kendatire.com and or your local dealer. It's fantastic that you can get all those tires there now. And then SRT Off-Road, which srtoffroad.com, thankfully, everybody made it super easy for me to remember all those URLs, but you can as well get those from your local dealer or some of your online retailers, whichever you choose. We have been drinking an 11% beer already, so I have no idea where this is going to wind up going. It could be the most fun you've ever had, or at the same time, I may not wind up with pants on later on this evening. It could get weird, and I'm totally okay with that. So we're going to see how it's going to go. Of course, we do have the chat room going. I am not in there, though. I'm going to get there essentially. Eventually, tlk.io slash seat time if you guys want to jump in that bad boy. And then seat time is, of course, archived on the site, Stitcher, and iTunes. So if you don't like our faces, you think it's better just to listen, make sure you go to iTunes and or Stitcher and give us a subscribe, and that way you can get that kind of stuff. And if you in, even halfway enjoy this shit, give us a review. Put some stars. Thumbs up that bitch. Have fun with it. Make sure you leave us comments that we can reply to and make fun of your mom about. That's what we like to hear. Um, and, I, and I wanted to tell people, well, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's just get into it. Mr. Dale Spangler, how the hell is your evening going, kind sir? Yeah. Drink a little beer. Uh, come on and talk some, about, about some dirt bikes with you. I like there. You, you've been talking about dirt bike a lot lately with different people, haven't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of funny that I think we're talking about dirt bikes on election night because everybody's all stressed out, all this election stuff going on, and what better to break the stress down than talking about a little bit of dirt bikes, beer, and dirt but, bikes. But I did wear my uh, my super Tony Hawk red, white, and blue shirt for everybody to make sure that. Yeah. <laughs> Rocking my BT shirt. That, that's who you voted for? Whoever has the cutest dog. Bale's like, that's my winner right there. That's who I'm going for. Absolutely, yeah. So we don't need to get in specifics, but did you vote? I did. I actually did early early voting probably almost a month ago. Yeah, I think whatever the first day, it was the 24th or 28th here in Texas, uh, that you could vote, that was me. I was there on that Monday, and I was like, here you go. Here's my vote. Because it's like, eh. I don't need to wait anymore. It's ready. I'm ready. Let's do this, right? Yeah, for sure. I think from what I'm seeing already, though, like record numbers of people are getting out and voting. So as crazy as it's been, it's kind of exciting to see that people are, you know, getting behind it and going out and voting because obviously I know there's a lot of people that say my vote doesn't count, but it does. So got to do your, do your duty, right? Yeah. Do your due diligence. All that kinds of stuff. It's been really interesting. Um, like, man, alive. Like, the keyboard warriors have come out during this shit. Have they not? Like, there are some people, like, in my feed that I, like, and again, we're, I'm not going to get into specifics because we don't need to get into specifics, but there's some people in my feed that's some downright hateful motherfuckers yeah. uh, about some stuff. And I was just like, Re really? Like, that's how mean we need to be to people about their opinion? Like, that's pretty intense. 
definitely a, a whole new level of ruthlessness at this election. So I don't know. I, I feel I have a feeling that tonight's not going to be the end of it. It's going to drag on for a while, regardless. I feel like there's going to be some more precedents set. So we'll see. We're but, going streaking. Is that what you mean? Streaking in the quad? We're gonna. <laughs> I mean that would be that would be great, but I mean I just have a feeling it's going to be much worse things. But you know whatever. Well, we're Let's gonna talk go, We're going to go <laughs> find the bottom of the glass. And one of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure I point out, since everybody's going to make fun of me, um, yes, uh, I have a a set of as they call them craft beer glasses. This is the glass the glass for a stout. And I'm not going to get into the nerdery behind it or any of that kind of bullshit. I have done some taste tests, and it does uh, do a difference. But what's fun, if you guys want to check it out, I'm going to put the link to where you can get these glasses on Amazon, even if you just want to click on it and learn about them, all that kinds of fun stuff. And then I today, Dale, did you see the video that I posted of us cleaning the kids' game room? No. Oh, you got to go watch it, buddy. I shared it on the Facebooks. Um, So we spent probably six months ignoring the kids' game room. And we walked in there one day and we were like, oh, my freaking goodness, like, this is so horrible. And so I time lapsed us like, I think about two, two and a half hours of us cleaning it. And uh, it's pretty funny, like, because it's like, holy shit. And what's awesome is watching the kids like come behind us and like put shit back on the floor. And then we turn around (laughs) and like come and grab it again. Oh, dude, it was just like, stop it, you wankers. I don't know what you would yell at your kid. You don't want to curse at him, of course. Yeah, I have to say your your glasses are AKA for those beer glasses are you know beer snob glasses, which I happen to have a cupboard full of. I'm one of those guys that like you know I pull out. You got you got to have the right glass for the right beer, you know. And so people are always laughing at me when they come over to hang out with me because I'm like, hey, what kind of beer are you drinking? And I pull out the right glass for them, you know. So, <laughs> dude, it's uh, so it's my I even had my wife do a taste test, like literally, like. I took, and she's not an IPA drinker, but I had her do an IPA just because of the fact that IPAs are kind of like, you know, so such a hot forward, like very flavor focused beer. Um, and so I had her take a sip out of the bottle. I had her take a sip out of a regular shaker pint glass, and then take one out of the IPA glass. And you really can taste a huge difference. Obviously, the biggest difference is between the bottle and uh, a, a glass, just any kind of glass, because at least that point, the, the the beer itself gets to breathe, the shit gets in your nose, so you're smelling it while you're drinking it, and it's just that much more enjoyable. Um, but you could also tell, too, like the, the longer the beer sat in the glass, the more aerated, so the back half of the beer tasted as good as the front half of the beer. Um, and that's your beer lesson, N- beer nerder well, lesson yeah, for the evening. <laughs> No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, though, because like a beer you're drinking, I mean, you can't really drink that. I mean, you can't. Don't get me wrong. And people will do it, but it's not really – it won't taste the same to drink that kind of a beer out of a bottle. I mean, you have to let that thing aerate, get out, sit in the glass, actually warm up a little bit because they taste actually better when they're warmer yep. than when they're really cold. So, yeah. And you know what's fucked up? As I even said, when I handed one of these to Steven, I said, you're going to want to pour that in a glass. He goes, really? I go, well, one, it's 11%. So if you drink an 11% beer out of a bottle like it's a bottled beer, you're going to drink it way too fast, and all of a sudden you're going to be like throwing up or you're going to be passing out or falling asleep or just drooling funny (laughs) in places you don't want to drool. Or it's not going to taste as good, and he's still sitting over there drinking out of the damn bottle. (laughs) Good for you, man. I know. Every time he takes a sip, I like see his finger just out, just like flicking me off. 
He's just like, suck it, Pierce. Suck it. <laughs> but so we're going to send, we'll send Steven the Amazon link so that he can check out the Stoutpike class as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, and then, uh, but if you guys want to go check that out, you go to YouTube for the video and just search for Purveyor of Awesome. That's my like personal YouTube channel. Um, and uh, we've kind of like, one of my wife and I have been talking about putting more crap out there. So just, you don't have to go subscribe. Just go check out that video and tell us what you think on that kind of shit. So, Mr. Dale Spangler, besides you having been on the Steve Mathis podcast, which was awesome to listen to all of your history um, within the sport itself and, and kind of going back into some of the racing things like that, you know, what else has been going on for you guys? I know you guys had released some limited gear, tie-dyed, holy shit, who's high at fly, this is pretty awesome, uh, and, and all kinds of other stuff. So, what else has been going on for you in the industry? Yeah, it's been kind of wild, really. I mean, uh, yeah, you saw the, the tie-dye gear, which we released at... Fly released at Monster Energy Cup, and uh, it went over way better than I think anybody expected. I mean, I actually thought it was going to do pretty good because I kind of liked the way it looked from the start. But I'm an older guy, so I think tie dye maybe you know might appeal a little more to me. But yeah, we had a thousand sets of that made, and that stuff sold. And I want to say like eight eight to ten business days, and we were completely cleaned out of a thousand sets of that gear. So it was. Uh, I mean, I was blown away. I mean, it's cool to be able to put out a, a true limited edition gear release like that and just go through it like that and have it be that accepted. So that was exciting. And then, um, of course, uh, just recently, which was about a week ago, we had, you know, uh, WPS, the parent company of Fly. Um, we actually are now an Alpine Stars distributor, which is pretty, pretty big news for the power sports industry just because, you know, Parts Unlimited had an exclusive on uh, Alpine Stars boots for probably close to 20 years. So, you know, for them to, you know, set us up as a distributor was, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal, really, because them being a premium brand, um, we have a lot of racers that actually were already wearing the Alpine Stars brand. And so that just kind of fits that much better because, you know, now head to toe, they're, if they're wearing Alpine Stars, I mean, we distribute the product. So that's a pretty big deal. And then also, um, There'll probably be an email going out to our dealers tomorrow that um, we're actually distributing uh, Maxxis tires now, so that's kind of a big deal. So yeah, we just keep uh, keep growing and and building and doing cool things, and so um, yeah, a lot of exciting things. Hard to believe I'm in my tenth year there. I just uh, I don't even where the time has gone. Dude, I know when um, listening to the Steve Mathis show that you were on when that you had said ten years, I go, holy shit, how long have I known Dale? And it's been round about five years. Like you, like somehow stumbled across like the third or fourth episode of Seat Time, right? Like I, you know, I don't even remember how you said you had found it. And so that means at that point in time, you had been there for five years, and I didn't even know that. You know, at the and so for to hear that you had been there ten years, that's pretty darn epic, dude. That you've, uh, um, I haven't been at a company that long. Um, you know, I've been alive longer than ten years, and that's really the only thing consistent that I've done for over ten <laughs> years. Uh, I don't think I've raced mountain bikes. I don't think I've raced dirt bikes. I don't think I've drinking good beer consistently for ten years. So uh, let's just take oh, take a sip. Show it, show it, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Take a sip. So good. Crux. Crux Pilsner out of uh, Bend, Oregon. I like it. You know who's super jealous is Art Pepin. Art Pepin right now needs. Uh... Oh God! Will Sea Time get a set of Alpine Stars as a prize or giveaway or some sector boots from Angel in the chat room? Dale, what do you think the answer to his question is? 
Well, it's pretty easy to give away a pair of sector boots. I don't know about all five stars yet, but <laughs> yeah, I just was like, ah. so Angel for asking dumb questions. Sure, if we can get a pair of sector boots, we might get you to take lewd pictures, send them to us, and then we'll see how we can trade off. Ooh, what might be cool is if we can get somebody to submit the pictures and then burn the pictures onto the boots somehow, like so that like the design of the boots is like somebody bent over with a thumb in their butt. Yeah. Probably not going to sell very well on certain markets. (laughs) I don't know. The goth scene would totally be into it, though. And motorcycle boots show up all the time down there. So I think we'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think the 11 percent is going to do a really good job tonight making sure that I say a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah, your your tongue will start getting thick here shortly. (laughs) I guess I'm going to have to (laughs) slow down how quick I'm trying to talk. Uh, I'm speaking whale like Dory from Finding Nemo. Um, Alpine Stars, are you the exclusive distributor, or does that just mean that Parts Unlimited is not the exclusive distributor anymore? Exactly, yeah. So we're in addition to Parts Unlimited, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it'll help us with, uh, you know, dealers that, you know, are primarily dealing with us. That just gives them one more reason to, you know, one more product that they can buy from us. And like I said, the Maxxis thing I think is a pretty cool deal, especially on the off-road side because Maxxis really supports off-road. And so um, I think that will certainly appeal to, to the dealers that cater more to the off-road scene. And so, um, yeah, I think it's really cool. I mean, it's – I don't know. I keep telling people, like I said it on the on the Mathis podcast, I feel like it's sort of a, a snowball effect where, you know, the bigger the company gets and, and the better people that we, that we hire – it just attracts that much more better people, so the snowball just gets bigger and bigger. You know, like we just yeah. have so many good people working for us now—smart people, you know, people that have been around the industry a while, like faster. But I swear, we have the fastest um, rate rep force out there. <laughs> like it's all these ex-pro riders and just you know, like Jason Thomas and and uh, uh, Kyle Gills who qualified for Supercross and Cole Siebler who just went down to the um, Vet National and got fifth. You know, in the thirty-plus class with wow. a bunch of talented people. You know, yeah. So it was it was cool. We had our Alpine Stars launch. Justin Barshi came up and he actually rode with our rep force and our employees on our track at our our facility. And so and Cole Cole was like battling with with uh, with Barsha, You know, like on our track. I mean, granted, it's a little more tame track. You know, but I mean, the guy still got it. You know, so it was kind of fun to watch our rep force go out there and like. You know, pretty much all the people that 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 rep for us ride and and they're like seem like mostly intermediate level at least. You know, so it's uh, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. You know, um, I have a question for you. And again, I have not worked in the industry, so this is an outside looking in kind of question for you guys. But locally and and what feels regionally, it seems like it's a little bit of a rotating door um, within kind of who works for what company or things like that. And I want to know if that's the case, what, have, what you maybe you've seen in the larger industry. And if it is, how do you guys do a better job of hiring? Like, how, do you, how, how is it that you guys think that you're making sure that you're hiring those right people those, you know, uh, for the job? Because obviously, you're not hiring because they're fast, right? It just so happens that they're great at what, you know, what they want to do for Fly and for WPS. But on the side of that, you can see that the passion that they have for the sport is still so high that they stay at a certain level. They don't stop riding all of a sudden when they're working in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, again, it goes back to that, you know, like we're to the point now where we have a level of respect in the industry that, you know, we attract high quality people 
that want to work for us. And so, you know, and there's also a level of like what you said, you know, like there's so many of our reps that are passionate about racing motocross or off road that a lot of these reps, I mean, I think that's part of the sort of criterion when we hire someone is, is we want them to be passionate about the sport, you know, like we don't want them to be just a good salesman. Like we want them to be someone that is passionate about the sport, enjoys it, goes out and supports it every weekend, understands it. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people can be great salesmen, but if you don't really understand where people are coming from, you know, the, the end consumer, then I, I think it's, uh, it makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. All right. No, it was just interesting the way you said that. Now, I've, I've thought about that a lot when it comes to, you know, us hiring developers and things like that. We're trying to find those people that are that are passionate about the industry, but also that that aren't really chasing the next paycheck kind of a thing. You know, it's like, oh, I've worked here for six to eight months. You know, I've, I've got another whatever. I've learned this thing. I can go now try to scout myself off for a little bit more money um, and, and things of that nature. And I didn't know if that was a thing in the motorcycle industry as well, because it definitely is in the development technology side of the world um what was probably the biggest gotcha that steve mathis asked you during that podcast that you kind of were like holy shit like like maybe something that you just loved reminiscing about that you wouldn't even have thought of that he would have asked uh you know more than anything i think he was just i mean he really did his homework and he was just bringing up all these different race results that honestly i didn't even remember at all you know like he was like Oh yeah, in '88 you you went nine eight for whatever ninth overall red belt, and I'm like, really? You know, like I just honestly didn't even remember that. <laughs> right. So it's kind of weird to think that I just totally forgot about half that stuff. But um, I also am pretty fond of the memory I told um, him about taking Valentino Rossi um, riding dirt bikes with Mike Metzger. I'm just like that was just that's just one of those moments where I'm just like when I think about it, my mind is just blown because I'm like. That guy is like a superstar in Europe. I mean, the guy can't even probably walk out in public, you know, and to think that I took that guy, just him and I loading up a van and going out to Quail Valley, California and riding dirt bikes with Mike Metzger. It's just one of those weird memories that I'll never forget, that's for sure. Yeah, what, hearing about that, definitely on the podcast, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, like that's, you can't plan for that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, hey, you want to go do this? Okay, and then like, those three like huge people show up and you're just like, what is happening? Oh my gosh! Um, uh, it kind of reminds me. I just watched uh, the that, the untold story of the birth of freestyle motocross. I don't know. It popped up on Netflix, and so I watched that. And it's like how Travis Pastrana just like wound up showing up when Brian Deegan and a bunch of the dudes were out down in Florida riding around filming one of their crusty uh, demons in dirt, and he just like started doing all the crazy shit they started doing, and they were like, this guy's effing nuts like you gotta it's got the same same thing for that kid like just showing up and being like holy crap all these guys from (laughs) crusty are here and i'm riding with them and then he's getting an invite out to california to do badass shit with them (laughs) yeah there uh there's a couple freestyle type incidents when i worked at alpine stars over in europe where i had to take the it was crusty i want to say crusty six i think when they came over and I'd, I had to take them to like, we went to Venice, we went to, I don't know, Monaco, I think, a bunch of different places in France, and it's just, after two weeks, it was just, I mean, we were all just at each other because we had been around each other for two weeks, and, you know, those guys, all they want to do is eat McDonald's, they don't want to try and eat, like, normal food, like, from the local areas, and so it was just, it was kind of a mess, you know, like, by the end of it, we were all just wanting to kill each other, you know, and it was 
But it was we also did some pretty epic things. We were like up on the top of this mountain, you know, filming, looked like the uh, sound of music setting, you know. I mean, it was just, you know, crazy stuff going on. I mean, I could go on and on, but probably wouldn't be suitable for the, this this uh, video cast. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is, it's, a, it's explicit, but it's safe for work. We need to keep it semi-safe for work. At least I just don't need you to uh, try to, you know, show us what might have happened later on in life uh, while doing that in Europe. I can only imagine. So recently, Enduro Cross, the penultimate round, was up in Boise, and you got a chance to go. I believe it was there at the Ford Center for you guys. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like, one, you got some great racing. sounds like the turnouts have gotten a lot better as we've gotten into the back half of the season. Um, But I liked your report. I liked what you wrote on Dirt Buzz. I don't want to call it a report because it was an article. I liked what you wrote. Um... And I want to know more about that, specifically what you got a chance to maybe talk to some of the writers about, because I've had a chance to talk to some of the writers behind the scenes, too, and then tried to get them to come on the show to talk about some of that stuff. Strangely enough, everybody has declined after those phone conversations to come on the show. So apparently there's lots of thoughts, you know, um, with the writers, but at the same time, they're not thoughts that they're okay voicing. As of yet, uh, publicly, right? Like, if I were to tell you what somebody said, I wouldn't say their name because I know they don't want me to. But it's the same re- repetitive theme that I've heard a couple times. And so, yeah, walking around the pitch, chatting with people, kind of wanting to know how they're feeling about the, the not just, you know, the, the series that they're in, but also maybe some of the other series, off-road growth at large, um, how people are getting paid, are people getting paid, paychecks, things of that nature, like, Kind of what brought that about for you to kind of dig in a little bit? Uh, I mean, I think it was just a overarching sort of observation that just came to me. I'm just like, I just thought it would be interesting to write something that was kind of just got people thinking, you know, about the off-road scene in general. And, you know, it wasn't any one person or anything like that that I talked to. I think it was just something that sort of came together after going to the Heron Hound this year in April and then going to Endurocross and then just just seeing what all these other events have, have been doing throughout the year. I just, I don't know. I just thought it would be cool to write something that was, you know, thinking about, like, what is next for off-road? Because, you know, there are, there, I don't know, in some way, it's growing. It seems like it's growing, these series. But I also kind of wonder, like, what is the next iteration? Like, what's going to be the next evolution of off-road to keep it interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where, uh, to use my line, you know, I actually kind of stole your name there, like, you know, like off-road gives you seat time, not wait time, you know, because I feel like that sort of resonates with people nowadays because, you know, like, let's face it, you go to a motocross. I mean, I was a motocross for, you know, like all my life, you know, like racing, but there was nothing worse than having to sit around all day for, four motos you know like in in three four laps of practice and and four or five lap motos you know i mean there's nothing worse than that when you go to an off-road race you're you're there the race starts at whatever 11 12 o'clock you're you right race for a couple hours and you get to leave by three so i think people that's starting to appeal to people to where off-road is kind of coming back in that way and maybe that's even the wrong term coming back because it was cool like eric cudlow kind of like piped in and I was talking about the sprint enduro and I had that wrong where like I thought JD was the first guy but evidently he wasn't and I didn't know that and so it was just cool to get the dialogue opened up about the whole subject and I'm probably not giving you the answer you want to hear because 
you know, I'm, I'll probably walk the, the political line. You know how it is, you know, with, with me being in the industry, I can't get too candid, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, but, and that's okay. I think, but I think even just being able to have the confidence to write something like this, again, it's, it's, it's not that you wrote stuff that demeans anybody, right? It, it, it doesn't, um, it, but it does do a very good job of kind of questioning. You know, it's like, at, we, we, this is what we're seeing. The industry is doing this, 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 and this, and you kind of state that. It's like, so what is that going to create for us as, as we continue to go forward down this path? Um, and, and as maybe other little little paths appear and things of that nature. Um, I liked specifically kind of two things that really resonated with me because they're things that I've thought about is the Enduro Cross stuff and then the Sprint Enduro stuff. And we could kind of, and then as well, not just the Sprint Enduro, but the J-Day stuff. So let's talk Enduro Cross since that just happened. Obviously, like right now, Colton Haker and Cody Webb are on a terror. They're, they're riding phenomenal, but they are the only two guys in this um, consistently all the time. And I think to your point, you wrote in there that he had a first turn pileup and then was able within four or five laps was to be back in second place. Uh, th- that's pretty impressive that he's able to do that. But what is that? You know, it's kind of like, well, shit, is that that the competition's not there? It's not at their level. Like what what has to, if anything, what has to change to make it more of a level playing field? Yeah, and it's kind of a bummer because it's sort of a catch-22 because, I mean, those two guys have put the work in, you know, like they're dedicated to their craft and they're just that good, you know, right now. And it's nothing against, like, every one of those, someone, someone made the comment, you know, like there's some guys I work with, they're like, even the guy that, like, just made it into the main, the guy that didn't even qualify for the main event, is still an incredible off-road rider. Like, if you went riding, you know, like out in the Idaho woods, you know, the mountains here, that person would smoke you and do things that you could probably never do on a dirt bike. They're that good. But just those two guys, Cody Webb and Colin Haker, are just that much more, you know, right now. And so, I, I don't know. You know, like, it, I feel like the course was so difficult in Boise. Like, like seriously, like, every lap, Colton Haker was barely making it through the wood pile. Like he got stuck like almost every lap, it seemed like. And he won. You know, so there was just like pile ups in the rock garden. I mean, it was it was chaos the entire main event. Incredible main event. But I think it's just gotten to the point where it's so difficult that, that just that gap opens up even more between those top two guys and everybody else. Yeah. Like I've mentioned like I've sort of wrote, like I don't know if this is the answer, but, you know, like what they're doing in Super Enduro where it's a little faster, it's a little more, I guess, even, evens the playing field. It seemed like it made it a little more competitive because more people won and, and uh, I don't know, the racing was good. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the answer, but, again, I don't I, I don't know. It's kind of, it'll be interesting to see what Enduro Cross does next because, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's been out there for a while and. You know, they're going to new cities, trying to get new crowds. You know, like there's, after a while, they have to, I mean, I think that's part of the equation is the cities that they've gone to a bunch of times, they're probably maybe not getting as many people as they used to. So they go to the new places and try to get some new fans. But I don't know. I guess I was just trying to point out, like, wondering what what's next, you know, because yeah. it's, I don't think it could have gotten much more difficult from the Boise course. It was crazy. I think uh, one of the things I was talking to a couple different riders that do do our Enduro Cross series and then have done Super Enduro is one of the things they like about Super Enduro is it's 
it's much more club driven. So they do a lot like what the NEPG does and what National Hare and Hound does, where the Super Enduro organization comes in. And and again, now I don't know the exact specifics, but it, it sounds like it's like okay, well, here's an allotment of money that you guys are gonna you know have. We're gonna rent the stadium. We're gonna get the dirt. We're gonna get the materials. But you guys are gonna do the work. So. It's built by club dudes, right? It's put on by club dudes. The guys down there flagging are club dudes. They're not dudes that travel the circuit, right? And so it's much more passion-driven of a project, um, but that also gives a, a vast variety of types of track conditions because it's not, in this case, like a Schaefer Tracks building the exact same in and out, you know, because those are the guys that come in Day in and day out, they build a track, they take down a track. They build a track, they take down a track. For them, it's efficiency. You know, They're like, well, this is what we're getting paid for this year. If we can figure out a way to do this faster, we get paid more for the time spent doing it. I mean, that, everybody tries to figure that out. How can you make that happen? So does yeah. that become a detriment? Does that become too much of a process? And you, I would say that I would bet that a lot of Supercross riders would say things like that because it's the same situation there with the track crews that are in and out city after city after city. They travel, they build, they take down, they travel, they build, they take down. So it's about efficiency at that point. Um, and so do we? is that a thing that could potentially change or is that something that could be a variable right, in Endurocross as it kind of, you know, siphons around the country. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, that they did that. Um, I think it was South Dakota or North Dakota or whatever, like they did that outdoor round. I, mean, I don't know how that went over, but, um, I mean, that that's something different, I guess. But I, I also kind of like, you know, like what um, Works did this year. You know, like I just thought that was... I mean, maybe that's going towards Endurocross a little bit, but I just thought it was really interesting that they did a kind of a somewhat of an indoor round, you know, right. at the, the casino. And from what I saw, I mean, it looked like it was packed, you know, like just almost like a full gate of pros. I think they did the pro pro one and pro two together, so it was like a full forty rider gate. Like, I mean, it just looked like it was wild. But I guess it was popular enough that they're going to do it again next year except for they're going to go back you're going to go to the orleans which is where they do the enduro cross they, yeah they've done the enduro cross they used to do the enduro cross for so long and, and it, it's funny the orleans arena is that the one that strangely popped up on facebook of where they plugged all the walls and put the indoor uh uh what stand-up jet ski event on oh maybe yeah, that that blew my mind I was like, wait a minute, yeah. I've been there, except I've been eight feet under the water. <laughs> like, holy shit, that's a lot of water. You think dirt costs a lot of money? Holy shit, that would be t insane to get that kind of water to get going in there. Okay, yeah, so it's tough, man. You know, we've talked a lot about Endurocross and how I feel like it would be so much better coverage if they did something of the now. You know, they only kind of... They like so so much of what I've been able to watch live has been from Craig Thompson from SRT using his personal Facebook account to stream from sitting in the stands of the Endurocross and and I hate to say it that's what people want now I have no idea what the Nelson TV ratings are for CBS three months after the event happens but I doubt it's as good as what they could get 
if they were to boost their online presence and the ability to watch something, right? I get yeah. it. What we did three years ago, back in whenever it was we went to uh, Atlanta, that was too much for sure. But that was the whole night of racing that everybody got to enjoy live, streamed to the internet right there for free. Um, again, maybe it doesn't need to be that, but something would be... I mean, Endurocross's presence out there almost is not existent. When I've got to go to the owner of a team of some of the riders on his personal Facebook account to be able to watch what's going on live at Endurocross, that's when it's like, okay. And you look at the views, other people have figured that out too. Like there's a shit ton of people watching his, his feeds when he's out there doing that. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, it's, I mean, that's one of the things I think GNCC has done really well and, um, I think they well, maybe some single day events they might have done it like I think King of Motos they did like tried to do like a webcast but GNCC's done a really good job of their you know you can't you, of course you can't see everything but you know with the commentary I, I mean I feel like I'm there you know it's enough to where I get to see the end of the race and you know and, and the podium and so I'm I'm satisfied. I mean, I always tune into those things. I think it's really cool. Yeah, uh, I think I think if uh, to save themselves some headache and some money, I think that truncating it to where like you do you do maybe an hour long show. You know, in the first thirty minutes is captured footer footage from the first two hours, and then you're then for the the next fifteen twenty minutes you're splicing back and forth between now footage and other new footage that's come in that's been captured and then that way in the last 15-20 minutes is literally like okay now we're on the last lap this person's in the lead and it's it's down to this kind of you know what I mean um, I think the whole three hours live is tough um, it's tough to, to watch from a distance um, and it's tough to I can only imagine it's tough to, to have been there I've only uh, done the one live the entire time at Loretta Lynn's back in 2013, I think, when they were first getting those going, they invited me out there to do that. And then uh, Big Buck was it 2014, I think, when uh, Stephen and I went to Big Buck and they asked me uh, when we were around to come in and, and just kind of jump in really quick, which was fun. But yeah, I mean, to sit there the whole time for three hours, it's got to be tough and it's got to be super expensive for those guys. But I figure they're probably like, well, we got the equipment, we got the ability, we might as well just get it all out there. Somebody's going to watch. Not quite sure about the truncation, though. <laughs> You're like, bigger's always better? <laughs> uh, nobody likes truncating, do they? You just don't like my big words. <laughs> I liked it. I had to bring it up, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I would just like to point out that Woody actually has a vocabulary. Uh, I don't think that many people think that he would own a thesaurus. And I don't, I don't own a thesaurus, but I own a smartphone. And luckily enough, I can type in any word... And then thesaurus and Google, like, bam, shows me all this shit. And I can use other words that sound like other words to make bigger words sound bigger. I think it's interesting in this day and age how there's, you know, there's Google intelligence, you know, like where so many people are so good at Googling and like that's, they Google and they don't dig deep, but they, it's easy to find out things so quickly that you have this sort of Google smarts, Google intelligence that's maybe just sort of superficial, you know, like you don't really, you're not fully up on the subject but you can you know enough to like get yourself in trouble <laughs> yeah that's it and that's pretty much where you and i live 
We, li- we live like exactly. right at that level. <laughs> we get in trouble a lot. I can only imagine. All right, so let's talk about exactly. some of the sprint, the sprint stuff that's going on on the East Coast. Um, the Enduro Cross has done a good job moving around. I like the fact that during the back half of the season, it was the weirdest shit ever when it happened. And then I'm kind of like, now that it's gone on, I've watched everything else. I'm kind of like, it makes sense. It gives them a very specific time. It gives their races a specific time. They can figure out other stuff, other ways to try to make money, teams to put them in different events, different times of the year. Um, But then you go to the Sprint Enduro um, that has been going on with J-Day and with Full Gas and then obviously other niche niche, uh, events that have gone on as well. That's something that can grow, but I feel like it's almost... I think people are trying to snuff it out. And I wanted to know what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, you know, things, you know, that kind of are, are a bummer, you know. Like, I, I really think that, um, I don't know. I just never really liked the, that type, you know, politics of race series, you know. Like, I wish everybody could just sort of think about the big picture and the betterment of the sport which will in turn help everybody because, I mean, obviously where I work, you know, we wouldn't be in business without riders out there, you know, riding. So it's in our best interest to promote racing and get behind racing and all forms of racing, you know. And so it's always been one of my personal, I don't know, missions over the last, you know, five to actually probably longer than that, you know, probably seven years or so, like I took an interest in off-road and tried to push fly in that direction, you know, and not, not just be a moto company, but, you know, pay attention to the off-road scene. And so, um, I don't know, to me, I just wish, you know, everyone could get kind of get together. I know that's just that probably be a, you know, optimistic opinion to think that everybody could kind of be on the same field. But I believe they call that a pipe dream. Dale Spangler, they call yeah, it a pipe dream. Yep. Actually, the word would be to use a, a real big word, quixotic. You know, look nope. that one up. Don't know it. I'm a learner. Yeah, look, look, look that one up. Yep. So, um, any, anyway, I, I just think that obviously what I wrote in that in that in the essay that I wrote recently, I, I really think that the sprint enduro series. I mean, I really think that that helped us win the the six days this year because oh, I think if those riders wouldn't have been practicing that specialty like they. In the past, I think that's where we've struggled, our teams over there. So it was, to me, it just seemed to all kind of come together. I mean, obviously, we had amazing riders that went over there and stepped up and did it. But I really think that that helped them understand that format and and be able to excel. Yep. And it's it's absolutely crazy. You know, you watch guys like Caleb Russell, who were at some of the first full gas sprint enduros that happened and then the first full series and then didn't show up at all this year. And I asked him, you know, last time when he was on the show, if there was any chance that we were going to see him there again. And, and I get it. Believe me, I get it because he is a sponsored rider. He is paid to ride certain events. And he's just like, honestly, he's like, if KTM is not going to be there, I'm not going to be there. Um, and, you know, OK, cool. But it's like, when did, what happened there? You know what I mean? Because like, for a while, it looked like KTM was supporting those events. It looked like other manufacturers were supporting those events. And now, you're not really seeing that as much anymore. Like, J-Day is doing a great job promoting themselves. If they weren't, they would be dead. You know, if, J-Day, if John Day wasn't so smart about the way that he promoted his own series, it wouldn't have gone nearly to, to the size that it has. Um, 
And so, but obviously, then Hooper at the same time has done the same thing. Like Hooper has been a big part of the marketing arm uh, for so long with Racer Productions. So he brought a lot to their table, learned probably a lot more there as well, met the right people, knew what he needed to do when he wanted to put that sprint, sprint Enduro series together, and knew that so much of it was the marketing part of it, getting it in front of the right people. And what did he do for that first one that he put on? He flew Cato out, right? Cato took pictures, and it got in Dirt Rider. It got in Cycle News and all that kinds of stuff for that first event. And it was much bigger than a lot of the large extreme Enduros that we see go on because of the fact of who was out there covering the event. So it's interesting. It's weird. But if you think about it in the right way, I mean, they're, they're doing the right thing. So it's weird that it hasn't really taken that next that next step. And yeah, without yeah. politics, I don't I think politics is probably what's keeping those those types those those specific events like something like a J-Day, you know, J-Day specifically, um, kind of m- maybe being able to branch out a little bit more beyond regionally and then for full gas being able to pull in maybe some maybe not full factory but even some some kind of like sprinter factory support at those events. Yeah, I'm just hoping maybe like more industry companies will get behind that series to the point where like big factories really can't ignore it, you know. So, because I mean, it'd be different if it were. I mean, the series isn't competing against anybody else, so it's like I mean, everybody's sort of getting along in that respect. Like everybody's series kind of work together. So I guess that's what kind of baffles me a little bit. But I think I think where people being personal. Yeah, I think people see it as. Yes, like they're being very respective of schedules, which is obviously a big thing. And as one were to get bigger than the other, then there might there may wind up be some kind of conflict. But I think that you know, people want some people want one series to be seen as the off-road series, and they're afraid that as these newer series come up, that they're that's going to be, be you know that's going to become the the new off-road series. That's going to become what off-road is. And so there is a defiancy to kind of keep one off-road series to be the main off-road series while others kind of like are stuck to be not regional, but still a stepchild to a larger parent company. Or Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, we're seeing that on the motocross side too, where, I mean, you see like, you know, the MXGPs and then Supercross and Outdoor Nationals are all kind of like, they're all talking about, you know, like motocross GP just expanded 20 rounds. And then, you know, you hear all this sort of, you know, I don't know, whisperings about Supercross wanting to be even bigger, you know, it'd be like a year round series, you know, it's like, like, it just seems like there's a lot of uncertainties going forward and everybody's trying to kind of like grab their, I mean, I don't even know what it is. Like, it seems like they're, you know, they're all trying to want, you know, wanting to be the sort of the dominant series, but I don't know. I don't know what the answer is on that one because I feel like if everyone just kind of would be happy with having a piece of the pie, like everybody could, you know, do something with it. It would help all help the sport in general. But that just never seems to be really the case. You know, it just seems like someone always, you know, enough is never enough. They want more. You know, and so it seems like that's just the nature of things. I guess. So. Well, would it would it ever get to a point like say say that happens right say. Uh... Um, say that 
Supercross did go to like the, I think it's the rumored like 25 rounds or something, you know, where it's 17 and the rumor is maybe 25 or something of that nature. They were to go to that. Obviously, that would conflict uh, at some point with the Nationals because the Nationals start and, tr- and end before Labor Day. That's what everybody wanted. And of course, according to Pulpa Mex, you know, it's like, and so they were like, yeah, that'd be, it's a great idea. Let's end before Labor Day. That's a, that's, everybody gets that back half of the year off. And that's still not the case. We've got all these other extra races and things like that. But so we've got NASCAR, right, and Sprint Cup. We've got F1 and all these other events. Like, so would it ever potentially become one of those situations where there's a Supercross series that could maybe be year-round, but then there's a Motocross series that could live ebb and flow within that where some of those riders might do it, some might not, you know, but then there's your consistency within the Supercross, your consistency within the Motocross, and then your consistency within the Arena Cross, and then maybe there's even something else. There's other things that come into that um, where you kind of go, well, these teams are going to do these rounds and these riders get paid to do that and nothing else. I mean, you know, NASCAR does it, I guess. You know, Sprint Car does it. I mean, is it is it wrong to think that that could happen and work for us? Well, I, I think it's going to end up forcing people to choose, you know, like which series they end up racing. And, and I guess in some ways... The more I think about it, I mean, I do understand what the OEMs are going through. Like, there's only so much budget they have to spend to go to events. So, if we keep adding national level events, I mean, I do understand that. Like, there's only so many events that you can have a truck show up to. You know, it's just adding more series adds more budget. You know, that they have to spend. And so, at some point, you know, it's kind of like you have to know. You have to sort of draw the line of like where you're going to spend your money. And what events you're going to support? You know, I kind of mentioned I wrote about in, the, in that article about amateur motocross, like how it's just so chaotic right now because you know there's so many races that claim to be like you know quote unquote a national that you know like I think the factories don't really know what to you know like wh- which of those events actually really has some merit. You know, like if you've got 25 you know amateur nationals and only 300 people show up at each of those, like you know which one of those you know is like, how do you decide who the, you know, the top amateurs are when you've got all these people claiming national titles? So it gets sort of confusing in that respect. So I don't know. I think that's where, like, you know, in some ways, like having a limited amount of, like, true national series, I mean, I, I, I can understand where the factories come from on that. Like, they, they can only spend so much and only support so many. Yeah. That would suck, I think, if... You know, if it became one of those situations where Supercross wanted to go to 25 rounds or they wanted to go to more full year, and then, you know, that either A, pushed the Motocross Nationals kind of out of the picture, or to being much later in the year, uh, it'd be weird. Uh, again, you know, I said the same thing, it'd be weird about Endurocross the way they're doing it, and now I'm kind of like, all right, it makes sense. So it may work out, but yeah, to your point, like, there really is only so much money, and we have to realize that. People relate to NASCAR because we all drive cars. Like, not everybody relates to motorcycle riding and or racing because not everybody has the ability to ride a motorcycle. Um, so I think that that's why we see a lot more intense following with, with those those type of four-wheel sports um, versus motocross, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I don't, motocross will always be one of those things that's sort of a... I mean, it's definitely the image leader, you know, like people are going to look to that for, 
the style and like the I, I don't know. It's just it's just that sport is at that level. But I feel like more and more companies and the OEMs are starting to realize that you know their true, in some ways, demographic is is that off road type person that's in some ways you know maybe doesn't race all the time you know like but goes out and rides with their friends on the weekends and and uh, maybe that doesn't really ride on a track but you know goes out and goes camping and so I, I don't know I think that's uh, to me that's the the cool thing the appeal about off road is like and, and the future of off road is that it's I feel like there's a huge amount of people that you know can kind of relate to it much easier I mean it's pretty hard to relate obviously to supercross. I'll always be a fan. I mean, I'm like, you know, I love it. You know, I raced it myself, so it's, I'm always going to follow it. But to me, like, the older I get, I can relate more, you know, than on talk shop. And to me, it kind of, in the OEMs, too. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing this is so, I would love to. I'm just, uh, I don't know, trying to figure out what the next step is. You know, I have the adventure bike and and uh, just sold that recently after riding it spring and summer. Bro, bro, 690. <clears throat> get a 690. Go watch. <laughs> go go to Seat Time on YouTube, right? Go to YouTube, type in Seat Time. KTM Review. Okay? Listen to my dad talk about that 690, and you're going to be like, that's the freaking bike that I need. Rother. Yeah, the... I will say the 1190 was straight up intimidating to work on. I mean, it's fun as hell to ride, you know. So, if I ever did get myself a bike again, it would definitely be, you know, some type of bike that I could off-road ride with because I would definitely have some people up here that want me to. You know, I get invites all the time on the weekends or come up to Sun Valley and I'll take a trail ride and you know, Ari who. Used to work at Scott. He's like, I got an extra bike, and let's go. And you know, I haven't taken him up on it yet, but I feel like that would be definitely what I would want to do. Pretty much falls in line with what you're saying. Seat time adventure. So well, we'll see. But I'd have to get a pickup truck first because I don't have a truck. You get a dirt bike, you gotta have a truck, right? Yes. Yes. Or you know, figure it out. Yes. You can get a really creepy Sprinter van. I'm sure those are cheaper. They probably have free candy stickers already on them. Yeah, I just that just seems so silly. Like this, like me driving back and forth to work in this a Sprinter van is my only vehicle, you know, just so I can load up a dirt bike. So I'd, I'd almost rather rather you can. The problem is, it's a little green, continuously variable. Like it just you know those things. Wanted to to write something about you know like what's coming up with all these different. There's some future in, you know, where I work. Um, Into the world of fly racing. So, coming on and figuring out how to make sure shit's happening. Right, Dale? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I will say, like, I did have, like, I'm I'm pretty much at a year now that Dirt Buzz has been going. I did take a couple months in the summer where I had to kind of, reevaluate a little bit like I think I got a little bit over my head to where you know with working a normal day job and then trying to you know put a lot into the dirt buzz thing so I, I kind of stepped back for a little bit and recalibrated and 
now I'm back and I'm I'm doing it in a much more like less pressure situation where I'm just doing it for something back to it, you know. Night to everybody. Yeah, we, we, we need to keep drinking after this for sure. We're about five minutes away from actually having to pay attention to that, you know. I know, like I it'll be catch up time and uh I just have a feeling it's gonna be a late night because once I start watching this stuff I'm gonna get so engrossed in it I'm like not gonna be able to turn the TV off and so I think there'll be a lot of tired people tomorrow that are I don't know. I just hope it doesn't get crazy where there's you know, stuff's getting burned down and all this other stuff. I just hope that doesn't happen. But Alright. We need Steven, we need that segment on Twitter and the internet right now. Like that already, that please just put that. We need to preface the world with Dale's words. Please don't burn shit down. <laughs> like, that's what we need. Sounds, sounds like a good episode title, right? Yeah, please don't burn shit yeah, down. Please don't burn shit down. Awesome, Dale. Well, thank you again for uh, the the five years of support for Sea Time and for always being a great friend behind the scenes whenever we needed, you know, some. Uh, Honestly, some logical uh, discussions to have have been uh, gone down on the show and uh, as friends. So we appreciate it. It's always fun. Cheers. Later, man. Enjoy that beer. Peace. Bye. Awesome. Well, again, you guys, if you want to know anything more about it, we get done doing this. So check that out. Uh, remember, always enjoy a pint full of awesome. We couldn't say thank you enough to Fly Racing, to Kenda Tires, and to SRT Off-Road for being sponsors of Seat Time. You can find us on the site, which is seattime.co, or on Stitcher and iTunes, of course, if you want to give us a, a subscribe there and listen to all the shenanigans that do go on. And then, of course, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash seattime. On Instagram, it's at seattime underscore co. On Instagram, it's at seattime. And then YouTube, give us a subscribe, give us likes, give us comments. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Just keep having fun with it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in two weeks. I'm going to be in Minnesota next week for work. Um, and I can only imagine that I am going to have zero time to do any kind of show at that point in time for Thanksgiving. So we're going to have a very Thanksgiving-themed episode. It should be quite interesting. Uh, I guess we'll see you then. Peace. <laughs>